0: Very good morning, and so glad again, once again, to welcome you here. And um, I want to uh, share from the epistle reading this morning. But you know, before we get into that, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you once again for a new day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house to worship you. Lord, we ask that as uh, we come and open up your word, that you would prepare our hearts to receive from you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Two years of uh, pandemic, you know, I like the fact that people haven't lost their sense of humor. I don't know if you've seen a meme that circulates, which goes something like this. 2019, avoid negative people. In other words, you know, don't let negative people and their negative thoughts get you down. By 2020, avoid positive people, i.e. people who test positive for COVID. By 2021, is avoid people altogether. <laughs> Delta, Omicron, you know, highly contagious. I don't know what 2022 holds for us. But nonetheless, as we uh, get into this um, New Year, the Chinese New Year coming up, as we look forward to this year of 2022. I think this is a passage that is um, um, useful for us to meditate upon. Now, I admit, i preached this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, many, many times. But almost always in our our weddings. In fact, I've been in uh, ministry now for 28 years. I I started in uh, um, 1994 and have been in ministry all this time uh, throughout, I don't really remember actually preaching this passage in uh, a service per se. And, you know, sometimes um, preaching in a, a, a passage like this, in the midst of a wedding, you can't quite do it justice because you want to be quite focused, keep the uh, sermon short. My, my um, experience has been in weddings, people's attention spans are short, so you don't want to spend so much time talking about context. And in any case... Because there are many non-Christians, they won't quite understand it. So this time round, I feel like it's uh, uh, time for me to do it justice and think about the context in which Paul was speaking about love. And we see that it begins actually from the last verse in the previous chapter. He says to them, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That's where I drew my title from, a more excellent way. Uh, speaking about love and in some sense i want to speak about the mathematics of love in in a way love as a negative love as a positive as positive and love as infinite what do i mean by that let me just unpack it uh, with you as we look at this passage in verses uh, one to three paul says if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love i'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And you see in these first three verses, you know he has a progressively more and more impressive list of spiritual gifts or spiritual achievements. I was talking to the service yesterday, you know, those of us who are in our, our, the work world, you are very familiar with KPIs, right? Key performance indicators. I would suggest to you, Paul is listing SPIs, spiritual performance indicators, as it were. As you go down that list, you know, it, it uh, demonstrates the giftedness or how much the Spirit has manifested in your life and how you operate Be mindful of this. While Paul is listing the gifts in chapter 12 and he's talking about its importance, here in chapter 13, by no means is he trying to negate the gifts or trying to say anything negative about the gifts. What is at stake is not the activity without love, but the person doing this activity, the person who exercises the gifts. No matter how wonderful the gifts may be, no matter how impressive it may be, Without love, it amounts to nothing. So he's not pitting spiritual gifts versus love. Right? He's making clear that ultimately, despite all these things, if I have not love, I am nothing. I'm like an empty vessel, which makes the most noise, they say. <laughs> right? I, I, I can be impressive in so many other ways. And in, in fact, God can still use me despite the fact that I'm an empty vessel. But to what end? What does that amount to? You know, giftedness is not the true mark of a Spirit-filled life. A life lived in love is. That's what Paul is trying to say. That's why he calls it a more excellent way. Rick Warren, in his book on the Purpose-Driven Life, he says it like this. Life minus love equals zero. Life minus love equals zero. Love as a negative. But love as positive is also in view here as Paul goes on from verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And positively speaking about love, basically Paul is pointing out that love is about the character of the one who loves. That it issues forth in how we live out our life. Very often in the wedding service, I will point to the bride or the groom and I'll say, what if I replaced your name for the word love. I'm not going to pull anyone from the congregation. I'll use my own name <laughs> so I don't highlight anyone unfairly. What if Jonathan is patient and kind? Jonathan does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jonathan bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty scary to me. My wife who's sitting here, in the audience will testify I failed at the very first one. (laughs) I'm not a very patient person. She always asks me when we queue up for food, you sure you want to wait? Because usually I don't. I try and find a shorter queue. Don't care how nice or how reputable the place is. You know, I'm the kind of driver, the light turns green, and they don't move my hands on the horn already. (laughs) You know, impatient sort of person. But as you go on down, as you think about it, it becomes very scary. Because most of us, not all of us, even if you make it past the first one, as you go on down the line, you realise at some point we all struggle, we all fail. In that way, love is law, is the law, is a demand. If we are to love, you know, it calls us to a higher standard. But again, like I say, we need to look at the context of the passage. Why is Paul so intent on love? Because this whole passage is addressed to a church, the church of Corinth, which was an intensely, uh, immensely gifted church. It was uh, well-resourced. You know, if you look at Second Corinthians, it's clear that they have much resources. They were wealthy as a church. They were located in a place that was... You know, a nexus of culture and trade and industry and and all the rest. You know, it's a very, very uh, capable church. But there was a problem with the church. Right at the outset in chapter 1, verse 10, he says to them, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Why would he ask them to live in harmony with each other if it was not the fact that they weren't living in harmony? Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And as you begin to read the rest of the chapter, uh, you see that he points out, you know, that there was this party spirit. Got to the point where they, you know, claim, oh, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Paul. And then the hyper-spiritual one says, oh no, I follow Christ. (laughs) And yet, at the same time, what was uh, between the lines you could see was that they were fighting against each other, trying to prove who was right and who was wrong, who knows better and who doesn't. And this division, you know, keeps on going down. In fact, when we get to uh, 1 Corinthians 11, which is where uh, we derive a lot of our communion service, you know, Um, uh, let me give to you as what was given to me on the night that he was betrayed, Christ took bread. Remember that section? and And he had to teach about the communion, because at the communion table, the Corinthian church, even the divisions became apparent it, uh, you You read the account, and it sounds like some of them, because you know they would use bread and real wine and and you know some of them would just consume all the bread, <laughs> drink up all the wine before the rest had had their chance to partake of the communion and He said to them. Go and eat in your own homes. Don't come to church and try and get your fill and then not be worried about others. And that's why he said to them, you know, if you don't discern the body of Christ, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. As an aside, that's part of the reason why, you know, we have the peace. We exchange the peace at our communion. Uh, Just before we receive communion, we are the body of Christ in the one spirit. We are all baptized in one body. Let us then pursue all that makes for peace and builds up the common life. It's to remind us that, you know, the importance of recognizing that we are one body, that there needs to be a a unity in the body. And then we get on then to chapter 12, which is the chapter just before what we have in mind. You know, when he talks about spiritual gifts, he makes the point that these gifts are given because we are the body of Christ. And then he uses the illustration of the human body. He says the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, how the eye cannot say to the ear or to the hand, I have no need of you, just because you are not who I am and you're differently uh, gifted, you know, you cannot say to another, I have no need of you. And he then concludes that section by pointing out, that these gifts have been given so that God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So, in uh, um, understanding the context, you know, so often we tend to read uh, 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of our individual lives, and that's correct and it's right it could be argued that instead of just replacing our individual names, what if we put the name of our church? What if we were to say, Church of the Good Shepherd is patient and kind? COGS does not envy or boast. It is, uh, it's is—it's not arrogant or rude. does not insist on its own way. And go on and on and on and down that line. The question we have as a church is how... Do we love one another? You know, we've talked at length last year especially, but we will reiterate it this year, that God has called us as a good shepherd for this community of Queenstown. You know, He's placed us here. Yesterday, I had an opportunity to meet with the other pastors of the churches in Queenstown. We were taking a photo because we want to um, do up a booklet about Queenstown and then introduce the churches talking about all the um, um, uh, attractions of Queenstown, because many people are moving into Queenstown. We're hoping we put it in their hands, you know, tell them where the best food is, where you can find all the services, where's the polyclinic, where's the community centre, all these types of things. And then also list all the churches, the services, and, and and the like. And so we were taking photo to put into that brochure, and it's just over here blocked 30, one of the new uh, blocks that was up, I looked over and I could see our church. <laughs> I was quite proud of it. Pointed it out to all the other pastors. you know. <laughs> and, you know, we're right here in the midst. And as I could see it, other residents will be able to see it. And we're called to reach them. Reach them especially with the love of God. And that's why, you know, this commandment which Jesus gave in John 13, so important for us. He said to them, to the disciples, but He's also saying to us, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That it is the love for one another that really uh, um, enhances the message that we preach about God's love. We make a mockery of the message of God's love, of His grace, of His gospel, if we do not demonstrate that love amongst ourselves. And, you know, I am preaching to people, I think, who know this well, and I don't think that that's a problem for us, really, in this church. You know, having pastored this church, I'm coming up on six years, right? Uh, On Tuesday, we'll be my sixth anniversary of being the pastor of uh, English Congregation of Church of the Good Shepherd, time has flown by quite quickly. And I've been, you know, giving thanks to God for that. But the reality is, you know, while things look good, you know, if we were to dig deeper, the question I would ask is, do we truly love one another? You know, do we love one another so much that we could lay down our lives for each other? I think that question remains open, doesn't it? But I started with love as a negative, love as positive. I want to conclude with love as infinite. As we look on to the rest of the passage, Paul says, love never ends or love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Yes, Paul points out that ultimately all the gifts that we have will eventually pass away. That, you know, they are meant for the here and now and temporary. By the way, I believe, you know, it, it's still valid for us and it's still necessary because we still live in the imperfect. We still live in a place where we only know in part. We, completeness has not come despite what some people <laughs> say or try to say. And, and you know, our knowledge is still incomplete. Even though the promise is in verse 12 that we shall fully know. So that's why, you know, I, I think this is... Um, Paul, as he's discussing the manifestations of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, he's not speaking about it as if they are childish. But he's pointing to the fact that they are partial. And they actually have a preparatory effect. You know, a child... Uh, uh, practices what it means to be an adult. Laying aside childish ways doesn't mean that we stop uh, the things that we have started learning in childhood, but you take it to another level. And, you know, I believe what Paul was trying to say is these gifts are given to us to prepare us to build up the body, to build up the unity, to build up the church. That's why you see Later on in chapter 14, he continues, and he uh, hones in specifically on tongues and prophecy because I suspect, and most scholars suspect, that was the the gift that was most controversial in the uh, Corinthian church. And so he had to deal with it specifically. And he says to them, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. You know, it's, it's living out the law of love in the life of the church. That these gifts are not so to puff yourself up or to be arrogant or to boast about your spiritual abilities. But it's to build the unity of the church in the midst of its diversity. And he then carries on, you know, in verse 26, and he talks about it and he says, let all things be done for building up and really building up the church. That's what he says to the Corinthians. So love as a negative means, you know, our life lived without love minus love equals zero, as uh, uh, Rick Warren says. But love as a positive means that there needs to be a positive outcome. If we are living a life of love, right, John in his epistle points out you cannot say you love God who you have not seen if you do not love your brother or your sister whom you do. That that love for God needs to issue forth in love for one another. But I end with this, that ultimately, love is infinite. Love never ends. Which means this uh, infinite love has to come from an infinite God. Right? John, in his epistle, also pointed out when he talked about love that it is God is love. And that, you know, if we are to be a loving people, the source of our love has to be God. Gordon Fee, in his commentary on this book, says this about this passage. Because of the lyrical nature of this section, it is easy to think of love as an abstract quality or worse yet, as a feeling towards someone, which is why a lot of wedding couples love to pick this passage uh, for their weddings, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for us as Christians, we need to remember that is precisely to miss Paul's concern if we reduce it just to an abstract feeling or quality. Love is primary for him because it has already been given concrete expression in the coming of the Lord Jesus to die for the sins of the world. Love is not an idea for Paul, not even a motivating factor for behaviour. It is behaviour. To love is to act. Anything short of action is not love at all. That's why the love for one another needs to issue forth in how we live in a loving way towards each other. There needs to be an action. Love is as love does in that sense. And God demonstrated that for us, right? He showed us how that is to be. To have love, therefore, uh, um, Gordon Fee later on says, means to be toward others the way God in Christ has been toward us. This Sunday is actually uh, designated in the lectionary as the Sunday in which we commemorate the presentation of Jesus in the temple the gospel reading, you, you, we read of the Jesus' uh, parents following the Jewish custom, bringing Jesus to the temple for purification rites and you know dedicating the child unto the Lord. But it's also a, a snapshot and a reminder to us that God, because of His great love, gave His Son. That God, because of His great love, incarnated Himself into human form as a little baby. God, because of His great love, became flesh amongst us and walked with us, that God is with us. And therefore, Paul, also in another letter to the Ephesians, he says to them, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That to walk in love with one another is ultimately contingent on the fact that we understand, that we appropriate, that we live out and we receive the love He has for us because of His sacrifice for us. I've said this so many times, sometimes I worry about (laughs) repeating myself but I make no uh, apology that ultimately we love because He first loved us. That our love, issuing forth towards others, is contingent on us having received His love. And if we have received love, then we love in return. It works the other way around as well. If we find we struggle to love others, may I suggest maybe we have not fully understood or comprehended the love that God has for us. When we struggle to forgive others, Jesus Himself said it's because we don't recognize how much we have been forgiven. And that's why, you know, I urge us to come back and to remember the love of God. to be reminded and to reappropriate the love of God for ourselves so that we may live as a people who love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength but then consequently are able to love our neighbour as ourselves. I hope, you know, as we go out into our uh, world this week, especially uh, Chinese New Year, you know, it's an opportunity to meet people you may not meet um, throughout the rest of the year. And I don't know, sometimes it's quite deliberate we don't meet them the rest of the year because (laughs) we don't really want to be around them. I know some of you are relieved. Wow, only five people can come. Oh, sorry, I better not come. (laughs) But I want to challenge you, you know, if you have received the love of God, let us love. Not just those whom we like, but love even those who may seem humanly unlovable. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word because it truly uh, points out the path we need to tread. It is a lamp for our feet and a light unto our path. And yet, Lord, your word also often challenges us, calls us back to your pathway, corrects us, confronts us, comforts us, and shows us that your love for us remains constant. Lord, as we place ourselves in the constancy of your love, Trusting in that love, help us, Lord, to obey your call to us to love one another. That we may build each other up. That we may show that we are your disciples because we have love for one another. These things we ask and pray in your Son's most precious name and all God's people say, Amen. So as Pastor said, love is behavior. And one of the ways that we uh, show our love to God and to one another is to say the creed.